I think the future of supply chain are more integrated, collaborative, and automated than they are today. And the companies that are involved, the manufacturers, the logistics providers, the brands, the retailers, should be able to focus on the thing that they do best and then seamlessly integrate with the network of partners that are out there to deliver the best outcome for themselves and for the end customer. And I think you're going to see supply chains just steadily work against that problem. And I think they're going to look very different in a decade or two on that front. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name is Richard Howells. I'm a Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my co-host, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Smythe, and I'm a marketer, blogger, and podcaster in the supply chain space here at SAP. So today we're joined by Joel Beal from Alloy AI to discuss the importance of capturing actual demand and how AI and other technologies can help. So welcome, Joel. Thank you so much for joining us today, and it's really great to have you on. We're excited for a great conversation. So if you could just take a moment to introduce yourself, give a little bit of insight into your past experiences and your role today at Alloy. Thanks, Nicole. Excited to be here with you both today. So as you mentioned, my name is Joel. I founded Alloy.ai back in 2016. So I guess we're coming up here on seven years. And my background is actually in economics. So if you go way back, I was on track to become you know, an academic. I was in a PhD program studying economics, was fascinated by all that. But I was in Silicon Valley at the time. There was a lot going on in technology and it was hard to not kind of catch that bug, if you will. And so I made the shift into to software instead. But I've spent my entire career really working on large data platforms. So this is in retail, this is in supply chain, it's also in finance. And platforms that connect into lots of different parties create unique data sets that you can then do very interesting analytics and machine learning on. So it's, it's been a fun ride. I've seen lots of different problems. And I have to say, supply chains are complex. There's so many opportunities to improve them. They're so fundamental to the economy. So it really brings together that economist in me that still exists somewhere deep down, as well as you know, the experience that I have in technology over the past 10, 12 years. So what triggered that move from academia into the technology space and the founding of Alloy AI? What problems were you trying to solve? Yeah, well, I mean, there were a number of things that led to it. But I think the most fundamental one, it was back in 2010. As I said, I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area. And we were kind of starting to come out of the financial crisis. And there was just a lot of energy around startups and technology. I think people had recovered from the first crash back in the early 2000s, you know, a lot of new technology coming out. And it honestly was hard to be in an academic setting. I love it. I'm somebody who could spend all day in a library doing research. I enjoy that side of things, but it, it's kind of slow. <laughs> There's a speed and a pace. And I would see people that were working on these interesting technology problems. A lot of them were more applied applications of things that I would tangentially study in graduate school. And so that just seemed interesting to me. And the first company that I worked at you know, we worked with large retailers, large CPGs, helping them really run A-B tests on large initiatives that they ran. And so that was kind of my introduction, as I said, into kind of retail, supply chain, what data is out there. And the methods were pretty similar to things that I'd done in graduate school. It was more applied and it was fun and you were seeing the impact of what you were doing. 
So I think I just respond to that. And one of the nice things about technology is you can nerd out. I mean, you get to go pretty deep on this technology and AI, obviously a fascinating space right now. There's so much that's changing, but you're doing it for a very specific reason, right? It's to help businesses. It's to help consumers and hopefully help the economy. And so I like that balance between the two. I think it's been a good spot for me. Mm -hmm. It's such an interesting story. And speaking back all the way to when you founded Alloy.ai back in 2016, it's like you said, already been seven years. So much has changed just since then. So much has changed in just the three years. And I think we can all attest to that. But in your opinion, after seeing the evolution of technology and the evolution of academics, what has changed since you co-founded this company? And what has, if anything, stayed the same in that same regard? Yeah. So there's been a lot in both buckets. The fundamental challenge when we started Alloy, I was talking to lots of different companies, exploring a number of different ideas I had. And because I had a number of connections into consumer brands and retailers, I kind of got on this path of talking to these brands and there was a continuous theme that was coming up. And I remember it very distinctly. A number of them would tell me, they're like, I'm kind of blind when I operate this business. Mm -hmm. Because if you are a consumer brand and it's changing, and I'll get to that in a minute, but historically you would you know, develop products, you manufacture them, or you work with partners who manufacture them. And then you receive orders primarily from retailers to sell those products or distributors. Mm -hmm. And the issue is those orders come in you fill them and you ship them out and then you wait for that next order. And in the meantime, you're talking to those partners, you're getting glimpses of what happens. They're saying, oh yeah, that product launch went really well, or, oh, we might need to run promotions here, but it's coming in fits and spurts. And they'd be like, we don't really have a complete idea of how many people bought our product yesterday or last week, or maybe I know last month because that started to trickle in. And so that was the initial problem we started to solve is it turns out all this data has been shared by these retailers at that point for a decade. Mm -hmm. You know, retailers have realized that, hey, if I give more data to my suppliers and my supply chain, then they can better operate. They'll make sure they have the product ready for me when I want it to sell to my consumers. But it was very hard for these companies to bring that together because you know, every retailer operates differently. Retailers aren't necessarily in the business of trying to collaborate with other retailers, they compete against them. And so it was very hard for a brand to bring all that information together. So that was really the genesis behind Alloy was, well, we'll build this platform, all this data is out there, let's bring it in. And so a brand can have a complete picture of what demand looks like and demand in the sense of not what I'm shipping out to my retailers, but what are consumers actually buying day in, day out? That problem still exists today. <laughs> we are tackling it. We are making good steps. But I think if you were to still talk to the vast majority of brands and you were to ask them that question, well, how much product did you sell? How many of your headphones or how many of your tires or you know, bread did you sell yesterday? They wouldn't necessarily know. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot has changed. E-commerce is changing the entire space. Brands now are selling direct to consumers, but they still sell wholesale. So they're doing both. Mm -hmm. They're kind of competing with their retailers in some sense. Retailers, by the way, are also investing in private labels, so they compete more with brands. So that the divide between who's a retailer and who's a brand has evolved and continues to evolve. Mm -hmm. And then I think you're just seeing, you know, obviously massive disruption. Consumers are changing. All of us are consumers. We buy in different ways than we did seven years mm -hmm. ago. 
we do research. We can order online. We can buy online, pick up in store. We still like to go to stores. I was just reading yesterday about how malls are seeing a resurgence <laughs> because people are like, hey, you know what? I kind of like walking around and browsing. I mean, there's lots of different ways we like to purchase. Mm -hmm. That makes supply chains really complex. Yes. There's even more demand signals to track. And then, of course, we have all the disruption that's happened in the supply chains themselves. So I think, you know, to wrap it up, there's more complexity. Mm -hmm. Every year, these supply chains become more complex. The distribution becomes more complex. There's more opportunity, though, for these brands as well. And that same fundamental problem of how do you connect it all is getting better, but it's still very much up mm -hmm. there. <laughs> I unfortunately think I'm the person that's keeping malls in business. So it's <laughs> it's very much, I agree. So it's so interesting to see that evolution. So, Joel, historically, a picture of demand was usually a historical forecast based on last year's sales or last month's sales or whatever. And the pandemic completely messed that up because you just had no idea where the demand is coming from. And I was once told by a manager that running your business is based on a forecast. It's like driving by looking in the rear view mirror because you're always looking based on the past. So when I first heard about Alloy AI and it was at the Gartner Supply Chain Symposium a few months ago, I loved the way your team were talking about how to capture improved demand visibility. Because the reality is if demand picture is wrong, the output from your planning system will also be wrong. It's like garbage in, garbage out. And you're manufacturing the wrong things, you're shipping the wrong things, etc. So to you, what's the difference between a forecast and actual right. demand? And how do we capture it? Well, I think you initially talked about how we forecast, right? And most companies forecast in pretty much the same way. As you said, you look at historically what has been demand for your product. You try to then break it down. You say, well, what are the longer term trends? Am I selling more? Am I selling less? What are the seasonal patterns? What are changes that I've had in distribution, pricing, promotions, other significant events? You try to kind of break that up into its pieces. And then there's lots of models, you know, statistical models that have existed for decades <laughs> that we still use primarily to project that forward. But one of the key questions is what is demand? And this goes back to, you know, what I was talking about, this challenge for these consumer brands. Well, is demand what the retailer orders from me? Or is demand what the consumer purchases at the point of sale? Or is demand, you know, when someone puts something in a shopping cart or comes and visit my site, that's also a measure of demand. They haven't purchased yet, but essentially they're showing some kind of intent or interest in purchasing. Yeah, I think what's shifting is saying relying on shipments, which is, again, I'm guessing 90 plus percent of companies out there still look at historical shipments. They say, how much did I ship last year to Amazon or to Walmart? What'd that look like? I think I'm going to grow 5% this year. I try to do a little fancy stuff on top, but that's really how I think about forecasting. Mm -hmm. How do you incorporate all of these other signals that are out there and readily available? Again, with the growth in a lots of different types of commerce, there's more data than ever to help us understand what that signal is. So, you know, what Alloy is all about is how do you bring that to the forefront? Well, part of it is to help with forecasting. And this is something we specifically work with SAP, with your IBP solution on, is, well, if I feed all this additional data, I mean, if you feed in just point of sale alone, generally, everybody will have their own measure, but you see about 6 to 8% improvement in forecast mm -hmm. accuracy. Just because now I'm seeing what the consumer is actually buying versus this kind of lagging picture based on shipments. As you add more things in, it can become more rich. That's where people get very excited about a lot of these machine learning models, incorporating all these other 
data points. But all that said and done, there's a little bit of a caution here. Every company needs to forecast and to plan. You have to, right? Your supply chain, I can't just fire up manufacturing and get the product to the consumer tomorrow. Although there are some companies that are looking at how you dramatically lower lead times, how you bring production closer to consumers. So there are things you can do, but they're hard. But fundamentally, it's also about responding to the fact that every plan, and Richard, you mentioned this, every plan, the moment you produce it is already wrong. There's no perfect plan out there. So you still need to do it. You need to plan to the best of your ability, but then you need to be able to adjust. And waiting a month to adjust is too long. Maybe that worked a couple decades ago. When a consumer was locked in, they were going to buy your product. They only had one store in town and they were going to, you know, that's the only place they had. That doesn't work anymore. If demand is shifting within days, you need to be able to respond. And so I think there's both. It's improving that forecast and getting it as good as we can. And we'll continue to get those better by using more signals, but then also recognizing that no forecast is perfect. And how do we make sure that we're responding very quickly when we see those deviations? Absolutely. I think it's the Amazon Prime effect now where people are just expecting that in the two-day shipping, two-day arrival. So it's very much changed consumers' behaviors and their expectations there. The other thing that we're seeing in that situation, Joe, is that companies are decoupling their planning processes as well. They may be planning the bulk to based on a forecast and then packaging based on actual demand or finishing based on actual demand because yep. you're right, you do have to plan a certain point, but to a certain process, you can plan based on a forecast within region. How you finish the product to meet that demand is a way that they're looking to change. The other question that jumped out to me based on what you just said as well is historically retailers have been protective of their point of sales data. I think you've alluded already that this has changed. But the question I have really is, how do you make it a win-win for the retailers and the manufacturers to share that information? Yeah. Well, I think this really started with Walmart. I think it was in 1995 when they created a system by which they share their data back with their suppliers. And as with many other elements of the supply chain, Walmart is a real leader. They're focused on those everyday low prices. How do we drive down prices for consumers and how do we optimize our supply chain for that? And I think that probably started to change the tone as other retailers, as you said, historically, it's kind of being protective of that. I don't want the brand to cut me out of this process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously there is some risk. You could say, well, the brand can go directly to that consumer. Let's keep in mind, the retailer doesn't share consumer data, right? They're not going to tell you who they're selling mm -hmm. to. Yeah. But I think they've realized that it's in my best interest to make sure that I can get the products that I need when I need it. <laughs> and helping suppliers to lower their own costs because now they can forecast better and they can better prepare for that is going to be a win-win for everyone, mm -hmm. right? Better forecasting, everybody wins at and poor forecasting, everybody loses mm -hmm. at. So I think people are still sometimes a little cautious about it. It's a space where it'll kind of ebb and flow. And sometimes people will start sharing more data. And sometimes they'll say, well, maybe I want to try to monetize it. And so you see things like that. But on the whole, there has been a general trend. And I think e-commerce is also driving this because e-commerce is built on more modern infrastructure. And you have to share data. There's drop shipping. There's all these other methods where... I sell it, but you have to fulfill it. And so more data sharing there. And I think that's kind of bleeding into the wholesale side where it's like, yeah, these should be more integrated. We should be sharing more information. And there might be times where one side benefits more from it than another, but on the whole, everyone wins. I think, um, so I majored in math as an undergrad and in math, you think of 
optimization, right? If you took calculus, you yep. talk about calculating the maximum of a function. And there, there are two types of maximum. There's local ones and there are global ones. If you have a line that has like actually a lot of forecast lines or sales trends, there will be each year, you know, there's those seasonal spikes. But there's also a global one, the highest point that I've ever reached. And I think of the goal here is not everybody trying to optimize for their local maximum, the brand, the retailer, the 3PL, the manufacturer. How do you maximize for the global maximum? And everybody wins when you can do that. But to do so, everybody needs to share more so they can see how each one is doing and they can come up with the best solution. Got to be an element of trust and a partnership involved. Absolutely. Completely agree. And I find it interesting how you said how important it is to share that data across all different platforms and with all of the different vendors or people really playing a part in that whole ecosystem. And that really perfectly ties into the next question I wanted to ask you, where how does that improved demand visibility feed into those business systems and planning processes so that it really isn't this stagnant data. It's really useful and can be used to fulfill those initiatives or those plans, like you said. Well, as I mentioned, I think the things, the types of problems that we find that our customers are most frequently working on, certainly better forecasting, improving forecast accuracy in their planning process is a big one. Oftentimes, it's also, though, collaborating with their retailers on the best replenishment. Mm -hmm. You know, retailers have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of SKUs that mm -hmm. they're selling. They have lots of suppliers. You as a supplier are generally more incentivized to make sure your products are performing well than the retailer. They're often selling your competitors' products as well. And so that, again, that's kind of the mindset for the retailer. They're able to offload some of the work on their mm -hmm. supply chain and say, well, you, based on how much effort you mm -hmm. want to put in, that will benefit you because you'll sell more products and it benefits us because, well, we sell more product mm -hmm. then too. And people will be looking deeply. They want to understand where's out of stocks. Where do you have things like phantom inventory systems show the retailer system shows there's inventory, but we're not selling and you can detect that and then say, well, somebody needs to go and figure out what's going on because we're not replenishing and customers can't buy there, even though they think they should be able to pricing optimization, understanding marketing campaigns. There's a really broad set of things that this data ultimately can be used for. And the timeliness and the granularity are really the key things that we focus on. Again, some of this data has always been shared. People will send back and forth Excel spreadsheets. Okay, you sold X number of products last week, but if I have a new product launch, I mean, that first couple days can be critical, right? Already identifying, oh, I'm running out of stock in these areas. How do I make sure they're replenished quickly? I don't lose that mm -hmm. momentum. And just having that, again, allows the brand to be more empowered to help their retailers to make sure that both parties mm -hmm. are selling more. And I've seen that exact situation play out with social media, with the growing, especially maybe it's just because I'm biased. I'm on TikTok all of the time, which is bad, but you'll see things go viral on there and all of a sudden every shelf is gone. And it's things like that where you can't prepare for it, but you really have to have that partnership to say, okay, we're seeing this very, very high spike in demand. We need to work together to get these replenished as soon as possible because we're losing out on money. You're losing out on money. So it's very much that deep partnership that I'm seeing social media only, I feel like, makes stronger. It's actually particularly common in health and beauty <laughs> where absolutely, as we talk to our customers there, 
prospects in that mm-hmm. space, they bring up social media and they'll say some influencer <laughs> talks about our product and all of a sudden, but selling out everywhere. And of course, this gets back to this idea of, can I forecast that? Probably not. If I was paying for that, then maybe mm-hmm. I can. But if they do that, I don't know it's happening. You know, but then it's how do I reallocate things? How do I make sure it's in the right channels that people are buying it through, kind of move the products and make sure that I can maximize what's probably going to be a relatively short window of interest and capture as much as I can. And, you know, different styles will have some customers, they really care about the weather. Oh yeah, it's raining. I sell more product. (laughs) Again, I can't really predict the weather out, you know, a month or two, but I can do some optimization within this shorter window to make sure I'm capturing those kind of spikes Mm -hmm. that come about. Absolutely. Well, I've been in that exact situation. I've been trying to get this blush that went viral for maybe two, three months now. So it's a tricky and being in supply chain now and knowing the back end of it, I have more sympathy and I have more empathy for the situation, but it is hard when you try to explain it to people that don't have that full grasp. But as a consumer, you don't. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You want it then and you want it now. You see it that day and you want it that afternoon. With that in mind, I know Alloy AI is partnering with SAP to provide the demand data that feeds into the integrated business planning processes. So what are some of the values that our joint customers are seeing? Yeah, so as I said, it really starts with um, improving that forecast accuracy, right? So SAP, you have the algorithms, the machine learning approaches, and you know a lot of data that obviously SAP has about these customers that we have. And then we're able to bring you this data that's really outside of their four walls. Like I said, what are those real-time demand signals, very granular by location, by day. And you bring those data sets together and those algorithms get more accurate. So as I mentioned, six to 8% is what you at SAP are measuring. And that's a pretty significant improvement. But then the other side of it is, again, forecasts are great and you need to do them to operate your business. But most people have like a monthly planning process. What do I do in the days in between? How do I react to the deviations? Maybe in aggregate, this is something we see a lot. In aggregate, your forecasts are pretty accurate. But as you break it down, you say, okay, well, what about by channel? What about by retailer? Now, what about by region or by distribution center, store, et cetera? As you break it down, the accuracy gets worse. And you find some areas, oh, I'm doing really well in these regions. I'm doing poor in these. How do you rebalance that and adjust? And Richard, you were talking earlier about things like postponement, pushing that inventory, because supply chains really work in one direction. <laughs> Delaying pushing that inventory to the end point where it's going to be sold as much as possible while I wait to see where is that demand going to be. If I can w- hold it a little longer at my warehouse, or that retailer can hold it a little longer at that DC, and then just push it out once I see where the demand is highest. Well, I'm going to be able to sell more. I'm going to be able to avoid having to transfer inventory that's expensive if it's possible at all. And so I think we really jointly can help on both sides of that. We can help with the planning and the forecasting, get that as accurate as you possibly can, but then also in collaboration with a lot of great SAP products like retail execution really help in the day-to-day optimizations that a lot of these companies are trying to do. Yeah, you mentioned about most companies historically plan for a month or th- every 30 days. And we're seeing the clock speed of planning change. And the pandemic actually triggered that a lot because companies were going from monthly SNOP processes to weekly SNOP processes or even daily processes. 
And the key is having that flexibility and agility to do that, not only in the planning process, but also in the manufacturing and the distribution side of things. Because there's no point being able to plan on a daily basis if you can't adjust your manufacturing processes with the same flexibility. So it's all around having that agility to be able to respond to change once that demand signal or the actual demand shows that there's a change in the mix of products that are going to be sold and where they're going to be delivered. Well, Joel, as we come to the end of the show, we've touched on so many different topics, all so interesting. I'm sure Richard can attest. I could probably ask a million more questions, but are there really any other topics that you would like to cover or something that we should have asked you that we kind of overlooked that you would like to make sure our listeners know more about? I mean, as you said, there are lots of different things we could talk about, but I think we've covered a lot of the main ones. And I think, Richard, what you were just talking about to me is something that's on my mind a lot. Every company wants to become more agile. Every company wants to respond more quickly. And there's a digital transformation that people talk about. I mean, there's two software companies. That's how we think a lot. Okay, how do we get the data integrated faster? (laughs) How do we make sure that you have all the information you need? And it's interesting when you talk about the standard monthly SNOP process, when I've seen that broken out week by week for a lot of companies, they'll be like week one, collect data. There's a week of just how do we pull all the different information? How do we try to harmonize it in some way that we at least have the information to start the process of then forecasting and planning and debating, et cetera. But there's a lot more to it. Is their supply chain even able to adapt? Are they able to execute against that? Is it designed in that way? Do they have a culture that is set up that allows someone to change every week or every day? And so I think it's easy to be critical of supply chains and why aren't they more efficient and better? Although it's pretty incredible how good they are, let's be honest. (laughs) The fact that I could walk into a store and buy bananas (laughs) that were shipped halfway across the world for a buck 50 is insane. But there's a lot of different pieces as I look into the future, where are they going to go? There's so much opportunity to make them better, but there's a lot of different things that have to come together to make that happen. And it's happening. Well, we ask our guests the same question every show. I'll make sure you have this opportunity as well. In a sentence or two, what's the future of supply chain from your perspective? Yeah, it's a big question, but I think the future of supply chain or supply chains that are more integrated, collaborative, and automated than they are today. And the companies that are involved, the manufacturers, the logistics providers, the brands, the retailers should be able to focus on the thing that they do best and then seamlessly integrate with the network of partners that are out there to deliver the best outcome for themselves and for the end customer. And I think you're going to see supply chains just steadily work against that problem. And I think they're going to look very different in a decade or two on that front. Well, Joe, thanks for a great conversation. It's been really interesting. Likewise, Richard, Nicole, I appreciate it. And thanks everyone for listening. Please mark us as a favorite and you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. But until next time, from Joe, Nicole and I, thanks for discussing the future of supply chain.